As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is your Sunday brunch edition I hope you are cooking something delicious. I hope you will tweet it out and, and let me see it so I can be jealous because I will be drinking water and or tea until noon. But Matt Fortuna is joining us. We we had a really interesting day of college football, Matt. Not always necessarily because of what happened on the field. Had a coaching hire break right in the middle of the night. <laughs> a very... um. I want to be careful how I say this because I don't know exactly why Shane Beamer wasn't coaching tonight. It was presumably COVID-19 or contact tracing related. But um, as far as timing, it's kind of convenient, no? I mean, I'm literally sure. watching the Oklahoma game as Bruce Spreldman, our colleague, breaks that story. And I'm like, oh, that'll be an awkward press conference. Oh, wait, Jason Kersey's tweeting he's not there tonight and it's not related to this. Um so that well, was and, and it didn't have to be an awkward press conference. They didn't have to bring him out to the press conference. No, they so. didn't. But I, well, I guess Lincoln will get asked about it either way. But yeah. it's um, that's an interesting one. I mean, that's the guy that I felt like was the front runner all along. And look, yeah. I'm sure I, I know Shane Beamer. I like Shane Beamer. I think everyone who's ever so much as tweeted about college football has a relationship with this guy because he's that personable and um, that kind of ever present. And he's a great guy. Uh, I wish him well. I hope he does great. Uh, I will say the idea of a guy who's never been a coordinator before becoming this can't miss hire at an SEC school is is interesting to me. I, I thought the well, I don't, I don't think people was, think he's a can't miss. I, this this move, if you look at social media, is getting criticized pretty heavily. Is it? Yeah. Okay. And my thing on that, and obviously he will have to do quite a bit to join this list. But let me let me give you three names of people who were never an offensive or defensive coordinator before they got their first head coaching job. You hmm. ready? I wonder where you're going with this. Urban Meyer, Dabo Ur- Sweeney, and Odron. There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. You don't have to be. But- no, you don't. You don't. I'm just saying that the idea of him being the front runner all along, which was what the smoke screens were this, saying. This was the only school that would have happened at, though. He yeah, there, there or and he was extremely there or his last employer, there. which might be in the market for someone if they well, lose Virginia last, next his year. His last employer was Georgia. Uh, but oh, that's yes, right. The, yeah, sorry. The, the, the Virginia his most Tech famous employer. <laughs> is, yeah. But the thing is, I think he was more 
beloved at South Carolina than it than it was at Virginia Tech. Right. You know, Virginia Tech, and honestly, I think it's probably better for him to be not at Virginia Tech, You're where he is. Pro- he is. Frank Andy son. better had this discussion last week, and Andy yeah. knows that program better than anyone, and, and he really thought that. Um, so I won't. I won't disagree. I think it's a yeah. personal preference depending on the person. But um, so here, here's yeah. if for those, and, and I think this is one of those. People inside the business know Shane Beamer a lot better than people outside the business do, or the you know the the casual fan knows a lot of the coordinators, knows a lot of the the coaches at the lower levels, but probably doesn't know the the tight ends coach, assistant head coach at Oklahoma very well. Other than that, he's Frank Beamer's kid. Right. But here's the deal with Shane Beamer, and this is why he's so well liked at South Carolina. He helped put together that roster mm-hmm. that won 11 games three years in a row. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, yeah, but Stephon Gilmore and Jadavian Clowney and Alshon Jeffrey, all those guys are from South Carolina. So you just, you got the best players in your own state. Well, guess what? No, nope, doesn't happen. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. <laughs> but now Clemson wasn't Clemson yet when that happened. So the question is, don't think South Carolina have something to do with that though, because Clemson was always good uh, under Dabo and getting South better. South Carolina beat Clemson five roadblock. years in a row yeah. in that in that period, and I right. think that's they are trying to recapture the magic of that. Now, is this sort of like USC trying to hire mm-hmm. anybody who worked with Pete Carroll? It could be, it could be. I I do not know. It is a complete mystery to me whether Shane Beamer will succeed at South Carolina or not because. We don't. We, we've not seen him call a play. We don't know who he's who his coordinators are going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is he will try to run Oklahoma's offense there. A uh, couple potential coordinators, uh, Steve Spurrier Jr. is at Mississippi State. They worked together at South Carolina when he went to when Shane Beamer went from Georgia to Oklahoma. Steve Spurrier Jr. came and, and was kind of the, the analyst who was the right hand man to to Lincoln Riley. Garrett Riley, Lincoln's brother, is another possibility as a coordinator. So, I mean, it, it's going to be somebody who knows that Oklahoma offense. And I think that was, that was maybe his biggest selling point is that I'm bringing that offense to South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. You took the words out of my mouth. Um, Cause I was thinking of the USC thing too, on a smaller level, right? You just keep going to the same tree that. Uh, and it's also USC. <laughs> there you go. Um, Look, I, I think he could do a great job. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm excited to see what he can do. I think when you're at uh, an SEC school like that, that, that hasn't had an extended period of success outside of that Steve Spurrier era, you, you got to think outside the box. I mean, you're not going to outfox someone for, for the next big thing in all likelihood, especially if Michigan and or Texas opens right. up this year. It yeah, is you, still, that's a big chunk of change and a very early firing to get a guy who hasn't proven himself at that level yet. I just hope it works out for everybody. Yeah, and if it doesn't, they'll just pay a bunch more money and the SEC network will keep writing them checks <laughs> and the world will will spin madly on. But let's let's move to the games on the field. Uh this is this is one of those things. Alabama LSU happened Saturday night. In most years it would be the first thing we talk about. We may not talk about it. Like, we gotta talk about it. I, I for watched, different reasons. I, I watched the end of BYU Coastal Carolina, which was an unbelievable ending. And I flipped to Alabama LSU. I'm like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> I have seen all I need to see. Devontae I'll, Smith scoring again. I mean, the live line at the first quarter reached 41 or 42 at some point. I gotta say, I've never been more impressed by LSU all year than the fact that they were able to cover that in game because <laughs> it looked really dicey. It uh, did. Well, there was the play where where the LSU receiver dropped the ball ahead of the goal line. 
And then his teammate came and picked it up. So they gave him the touchdown, but CBS didn't bother to give us that information for about five minutes. Uh, but <laughs> but by the time we found that out, Devontae Smith had already scored another exactly. touchdown and, and Ed, Ed Orgeron had gone ballistic on the sideline. And I mean, it was, it was bad, but it, it's hard to imagine that less than a decade ago, these two teams played two games in one year, both the game of the century, and there was one total touchdown score. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's just it tells you like, all it's you a know about sport. what happened to football. Yep, that's exactly right. Is this is this what we want the game to be? Exactly. That wasn't a that wasn't a question. It was a threat. <laughs> one he was made good on, and exactly unfortunately right. for the rest of the SEC, um, he's really good at that too. So. Let's stick with the playoff contenders because uh, you just recorded an episode of the Shamrock, our, our Notre Dame podcast with Pete Sampson, and that Notre Dame game started slow. The, the Irish, you know, took them a quarter or quarter and a half to get going, but then they they stepped on the gas and, and ran away from Syracuse. You're going to have games like this, and, and I will lump Clemson, Virginia Tech into this because mm-hmm. you know at the end of the first half in Clemson, Virginia Tech, you have that situation where. Burmeister throws the Hail Mary. It looks like he's going to get picked and then bounces into the hands of a Virginia Tech player, but then he gets tackled a foot short of the goal line. Extend the ball. I'm not saying you'll get it, but you have nothing to lose. It would have been (laughs) 17-all at the half. That was um, Kirk Cousins uh, to, what's it, Dave Nickel? Not Dave Uh, Nickel, that's the Washington State receiver's coach. Keith Keith Nickel. Yeah. Um, I was standing down the goal line when that happened. (laughs) I knew he was in. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was very similar. Um, And... Virginia Tech looked spirited for a little bit there, and then um, all hell kind of broke loose. <laughs> well, know. I mean, that, and that's the thing. I mean, Clemson and Notre Dame did what they needed to do. They're they're fine. They are headed for a collision course, and and either one or both of them is going to make the playoff. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. That's what I think. I think the the stakes sort of settled themselves out today, and I'm sorry for doing this Cincinnati because I feel bad. Because I did feel like when Cincinnati debuted at number seven in the first playoff committee ranking, that that maybe they were in striking distance. Now it doesn't feel that way. Now now it just feels like it's the top six, and there. But there's only really specific circumstances for Florida and Texas A&M, and here's, then it's everybody else. Here's the only hope I think Cincinnati has: Notre Dame beats Clemson again, and therefore eliminates Clemson. Two losses, no conference championship, um, and now we're and then Florida loses Alabama. Yep. Eliminating Alabama, or excuse you, me, eliminating gonna, Florida. Two you're losses probably going to need Tennessee or Ole Miss to beat A&M at that point. Probably. Uh, but but I think that's – if you can knock out the threat from the ACC, keep that to one. The threat from the SEC, keep that to one. Or one sure thing with Alabama. Then, yes, it comes down between A&M and Cincinnati, which – I mean, like A&M does look invincible. Um, they did what they needed to do today, and they kind of did what they needed to do last week, albeit in an unimpressive fa- fashion. Um, but but I think I, that's... I thought this week was more impressive. I, oh, it know, was. Yeah, absolutely. Auburn at least seems to be a different team at home. They gained yep. 500 yards against Auburn in, in Jordan-Hare. I mean, that, that's not easy to do. I just... I'm, I'm looking at them and, and flipping over to Ohio State at the same time, and, and that's who the, they're going to be compared to. And it really is going to come down with the committee to who do you think is better? You know, if they played, who do you think would win? And, you know, Ohio State, we said, okay, you struggled against Indiana. We didn't get to see you play the following week. Now we don't know what you are. I got to say, going to Michigan State, and look, I know Michigan State's not that good. 
But without 23 players, including most of your offensive line. And offensive coaching staff. And, and, and your head coach and your offensive, right. And winning 52 to 12 yeah. is pretty damn impressive. I mean, I, Michigan sorry, State that's just impressive. beat an undefeated team last week. I'm yes. not trying to put Northwestern and Ohio State in the same league, although they'll probably take the field in two weeks against each other for the Big Ten title again. But, like, Michigan State's – they're tough. They're capable. I mean, they don't back down from anyone. Um, and they just have a chance today. I also think Indiana beating Wisconsin and, and Indiana's defense playing as well as it did. I think that helps uh, helps Ohio State's cause, too, because you, you just go, okay, good. I, I got it. Indiana's just good. And well, and they, without Pettit, I mean, I think a lot of outsiders looked at Indiana and thought, all right, they're a one-man team, and now he's gone. They're going to go back to being Indiana. Oh, nope. They still got those receivers. And, and that defense, that's the thing. They won 14-6 to six on Saturday. Right. That's a defensive win. That, that it, it, It's nice that they they got a little bit out of the quarterback and um, that they had a, you know, that Jack Tuttle was there and is a pretty good quarterback. Jack Tuttle, if you remember correctly, was the highest uh, rated quarterback recruit that Utah ever signed. And then he left midway through his freshman year and, and transferred to Indiana. So it's not like he was a, a bad quarterback, but their defense is what is really keeping them going. Explain this to me, Andy. How does Indiana have Peyton Ramsey, who's going to be playing in the Big Ten Championship, <laughs> Michael Penix, who's been one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten when he's healthy, and Jack Tuttle, who's higher rated than all of them, and Jim Harbaugh hasn't found like one half decent quarterback so, his time in an over. Did Kevin Wilson recruit Peyton Ramsey, or, or did did Tom Allen recruit him? I, I I'm not think, sure how old I, he. I think it would be Kevin Wilson. I I'm think he was sure a Kevin Wilson. I and look, Kevin Wilson, good taste in quarterbacks over the years. So and he's one of the best play callers there. I mean, he's, yeah. he's great at his job. Yeah. So that's we got that part, but the rest has been Tom Allen. The defense is certainly Tom Allen. Right. So well, and, and Penix. I mean, they, yeah. they you know Tampa. I mean, but I mean, they, but I mean, Tom. Yes, Tom recruited right. Penix, and actually, Nick Sheridan was was instrumental in recruiting Penix as well. Nick Sheridan had been a, an analyst or a I, I'm not exactly quarterback. Sure called, <laughs> but but Nick Sheridan had been on Butch Jones's staff at Tennessee, right? And so Penix got to know him the the first year he was committed to Tennessee, and then Sheridan left with Mike DeBoer for Indiana because Sheridan was going to get a, a position coaching job. So that's that's how that works. Sheridan just, stayed in touch. That's funny because Sheridan also worked with Mike Bajakian, who's now Peyton Ramsey's offense coordinator Correct. at Northwestern, which helped lead him there. It's a, it's a small, small world. But so I, I, I do feel better about Ohio State. I think when Gary Barta gets up on Tuesday night, he's going to have an easier time selling we just think Ohio State is better than Texas A&M. Now, it's not going to sell to Texas A&M fans, but for just about everybody else, they're going to feel fine. If Ohio State gets to play Michigan, great. If not, then we'll see. Now, I, I had a, a friend email today and, and say, how about this? Georgia and Vandy just got postponed and, and may not get made up. They've, they've said they're going to make it up on the 19th, but... Why not? Why not send the Bulldogs to Columbus? No, send Justin Fields, Athens. <laughs> just do it. Just and, and and the Big Ten, just let it happen. Ohio I mean, State would be cool with this. That would be awesome. I mean, look, I think the Big Ten better do something, and they better do it this week. I mean, I think you need an answer by Monday for Michigan. Do you think you might be able to play or not? And if not, um, we need yeah, to get I Ohio don't, State an opponent. All right, I don't see the Big Ten stringing that out or Michigan stringing that out either. So, yeah, call the Bulldogs, call Georgia, and let's make this happen. Because 
who wouldn't want to see that? You know, and, and the Georgia fans want to see it too because now they've got JT Daniels starting. They want to see what it would have looked like possibly with JT Daniels starting against Alabama or Florida. So and now they can know. Here's the scenario. Pete Sampson brought this up to me on the Shamrock. Uh, this is probably a nightmare scenario for the committee and for people who um, like muting their Twitter mentions. Uh, if Notre Dame loses to Clemson mm-hmm. and Florida beats Alabama, yep. are we talking about a All and, ACC and SEC, baby. Or 10-1 Notre Dame versus 6-0 or 7-0 Ohio State for the fourth spot. So you're dropping who out of that scenario? Alabama? Notre Dame. Or Oh, oh, for the last spot. I yeah, got for you. the last okay, spot. Okay, I think okay. Florida, Alabama, yeah. Clemson are I got you. I, I think they would put Notre Dame in there. I hope they would. Notre I mean, Dame would like I, it's a tough situation for Ohio no, State. Notre Dame's best win would be so much better than Ohio State's right. best win in and, that scenario. Brian Kelly has said this before. Yeah, after his their eighth game against Boston College, which was like a month ago now. It's like we just finished a Big Ten season. It's almost I mean, like he was laying track. Correct. It's almost like he has a background in politics. Uh, That's right. He, and, and also, I mean, but here's the thing: we're not having that discussion with, I think, any one of the big time. No, no. And, and I don't, State. I don't think A and M is is no, going to be in I, that discussion. Either I don't think A and M is either. But like, here's the like: can you sit here and they talk about this on game day a little bit? Like, can you if Ohio State plays one more game and they win by a lot, like they mm-hmm. usually do in the Big Ten? Yep. Can you sit here and say that team won't win it all if they get in? Because I can't. Now I don't. I can't I'm not saying either. they will, but like, I can't either. And and I will say today helped a lot. Yes, yeah, so oh, today helped just a lot. the Absolutely. way they performed under those circumstances, and it, and it was another chance to see how good Justin Fields is. Like they had the issues with the snap, the first couple series, and. Most quarterbacks, when those things are going like worm burners, you know, at his feet or going at his head, they would just drop the ball. They just fall on it. He's picking the ball up and making plays and, yeah. and still getting Larry the ball. Larry Johnson the field. said it perfect like, after. It's I mean, unbelievable. Larry Johnson's like, yeah, I, I, I knew I'd have Justin Fields on my team this week when I was a head coach, so I felt good. And today, I don't know how many quarterbacks could can play that well without like their coaching staff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, without their play caller. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's a tough day to be to, to fill out your little Heisman straw poll that you're sending us in the email because it feels like everybody who is a Heisman contender was amazing. <laughs> like yeah. Justin Fields was great. Kyle Trask was great. Mac Jones was great. Devontae, Devontae Smith was Smith. amazing. <laughs> Brees Hall. Great. Brees Hall had a great game. Oh, that's another one. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I don't think it's a game that was on a lot of people's radar, but Iowa State mm-hmm. annihilating West Virginia speaks very highly of Iowa State because West Virginia has been a tough out all right. year. And, Iowa State just steamrolled them. It was 35 to 3 at one point. I mean, 
I think I speak for most people outside of the state of Iowa when I expected some form of a letdown after that tough game at Texas last week. I just thought, I mean, they had essentially, they, they didn't have to do anything else to clinch a spot in the Big 12 title game. They're going to be in probably win or lose today. Um, but they just left no doubt about it. And look, I know it's like the, the cliche cute thing to say about how the margin for error is so thin at Iowa State and, you know, they're never going to blow people out. And, you know, they only got three stars and they're just coached real well. But like, there is some truth to that, and to see them just absolutely dominate an opponent today and leave no doubt about it, um, I think it was an important next step, if you will, in the growth of this program. Not yeah. that they have anything else to prove, but uh, I can't wait to see them play Oklahoma again because they won that game. I mean, they were the clearly better team when they played. And look, I think Oklahoma right. has Oklahoma's improved over the found course itself. of the year, yeah. but they didn't look great tonight. But, on but Iowa State is much better. Yes. Remember, this is the team that lost to, to Louisiana Lafayette right off the bat. And and not in a fluky game. They got beat. well. Louisiana's really good. I don't want to. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. The Big Twelve Champion should not be losing to a Group of Five team. I get that. But I mean, Louisiana is good. If Louisiana Lafayette was in the Big Twelve, I mean, who's to say they're not the third or fourth best team this year? If exactly. not better. Well, where would that put the Chanticleers then? Let's let's get <laughs> into the fun belt because that game was amazing. I never, ever want to hear an AD tell oh, me again Go on, that they need it. 10 years to schedule yeah. a freaking football game. These guys did it on three days' notice, and it was awesome. It was you should game do this year. every year. Leave a whole week open and just make a bunch of games and then go. Mormons versus mullets, game day. I mean, I can only – we always talk about the Flutie effect in college sports. I can imagine what a day like today between game day and the way that game unfolded did oh. For Coastal Carolina. And, I mean, like you said it, one of the reasons I was so lukewarm on, like, the idea of a college season going off this year during the summer was because this is – the sport is run by a bunch of people who are so set in their ways and so non-flexible when it comes to really anything that involves adjustments or thinking on the fly. Uh, You know, every game is scheduled out 10, 15 years in advance, and it's used as an excuse when we're talking about why aren't you playing this team? Why aren't you playing that team? And if there's one good thing to come out of this godforsaken year in college football, it is I never want to hear any excuse ever again from any of you because you're all a hell of a lot more empowered, talented, and quick thinking, better, quicker thinking, I guess, for lack of a better term, than you give yourself credit for. And this year proved that. Because this game happened in like three days from and two different parts amazing. of the country. It was arguably the game of the year. The finish was amazing. I mean, I everyone said it. I was thinking it. Kevin Dyson, Mike Jones, Super Bowl 34. I mean, you watch that play. Like, the way you see Zach Wilson just drop back and fire it, you're like, holy crap. Like, Oh, they're going to win. He, he's, he <laughs> yeah. sees something here. Yeah, like, they're going to win. It wasn't a heave. It was like, boom, I got him. And to his credit, I mean, you, know, you look at that play and it's easy to say, well, why would you throw it short of the Garland, blah, blah. Defenders are such bad tacklers at the end of games when they're they're gassed out. Like, well, I'm, also, I'm more you throw it short of the goal stopped. line because they're all at the goal line. So this way he could catch it. <laughs> I'm more surprised he he got knocked down than I am that he didn't get in when he so, gets it that close. Here's my question now. Do we need two Cincinnati-Tulsa games? Can we just have Cincinnati and Tulsa play for the title next week and then have the winner play Coastal for a spot in the New Year's Six? That's fine with me. I mean, look, I'll take two Iowa State Oklahoma games. I'll take maybe three Clemson Notre Dame games. I don't need two Tulsa Cincinnati games. I don't. Right. Just just make that game for the title. Move it to, to Nippert if you need to to give but, Cincinnati the the benefit because they have the better record. But just do it. And then the next week, Coastal comes to Nippert. 
Done. It, the other thing, I, I mean, we spent so much time talking about how cool it was. I got to say, I thought BYU was going to go in there and steamroll them. I really did. Um, you know, obviously I was wrong in thinking that. I mean, the odds makers made them, I think, 11-point favorites and thought the same. And, you know, it's tough to account for the travel and the, the, the adjustments on such a short period of time. But um, BYU is much more of a brand name and known commodity in the world of college football than Coastal Carolina was. I mean, I remember going to Penn State's opener, I think my sophomore year. Uh, I want to say the score was 66-10. And, uh, oh, my God, I'm going to forget the coach's name who gave us the greatest viral rant of all time. Oh, David Bennett. David Bennett. Coastal. Um, the, 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 the teleconference that week was like, and great, I was like a sophomore in college, so I didn't know anything about anything. But I did have the foresight to say, like, this was a great teleconference because most coaches don't speak this way. It was Dave Bennett uh, spending the entire Tuesday basically talking about how Joe Paterno is an American hero and what a privilege it is to coach against him. And we're just trying not to get a good old fashioned butt whooping. Uh, it, it was just, it was amazing. And I never would have guessed that that so, program that like got run off the field two plays in would have college game day in my lifetime, uh, be at the FBS level in my lifetime. And now be what? 10 and 0, 9 and 0. Fun, um, fun fact about David Bennett, by the way, he, you know, very tapped into the Myrtle Beach area high schools. It was David Bennett who called the Clemson coaching staff. I can't remember if it was Jeff Scott or Tony Elliott who he called and said, there's this option quarterback here. You guys really need to look at, and it's Hunter Renfro. That's exactly well, is, right. Isn't, um, isn't Trevor Lawrence high school coach or tight end coach now? He is. Let's get let's get Clemson and Coastal. Well, actually, Clemson has a loss, so forget Clemson. Coastal's yeah. undefeated. They're above them now. Well, for, former Clemson quarterback Willie Korn is is Grayson McCall's QB's coach at Coastal. So it's oh, by the way, my my Coastal the only Cincinnati undefeated team played. in the state of South Carolina. My Coastal versus uh, the American Champ plan does fall a little bit flat because Coastal has to play next week. Uh, I believe it's Troy, and then they've got a rematch against the Raging Cajuns for the Sun Belt title. The first. First game they won in Lafayette. This game will be played on the surf turf. But if you watch that first game, it was a it was a really good game. So there's a chance the Raging Cajuns could win the win it with all, be a all fun the one. marbles on the line. So yeah, I but I, I would love to see that because honestly, I, I think the Sun Belt so rarely would have a chance to get into the to the that New Year's mm-hmm. Six Bowl. And because like you could do this if you wanted to, because Coastal's already beaten. The Raging Cajuns. Coastal's already beaten Appalachian State. There would be no one to really make a claim and say, "Well, you didn't, you didn't play the best teams." They've already beaten the best teams. You could say, "We're scuttling our championship game, and we're going to send them to whip the American champ, so we can get, yeah. so we can get into this New Year's Six Bowl." That's the way to go. I mean, it would be a shame to see undefeated. Well, undefeated Cincinnati is going to be at least in the New Year's Six Bowl, but it'd be a shame to see one of them get left out. When yeah, they're undefeated. Well, um, and, and you know who's going to be really puffing their chests out this week? The members of the selection committee who had BYU ranked where they were ranked. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I thought if there was one major grievance aside from a top 10 Georgia team, BYU was not getting any respect. And I Imagine that. if that team had had to play Ohio State. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't beat Coastal Carolina, what would happen to you if you played Ohio State? That's a good question. I thought you were talking about Georgia for a second there since we brought up that scenario earlier. Well, yeah. No, I, I'm all for the Georgia-Ohio State game. I, I would I would definitely love I'll to I'll take see Ohio State-Vanderbilt. Just give them someone. <laughs> yeah, I don't think 
that's the problem is Vandy, Vandy's supposed to play Georgia. So that's not happening right now. But yeah, make make it happen. Or, you know, a Pac-12 team because they can play non-conference games and, right. you know, they're, they're partners in the Rose Bowl. So yeah, if Michigan can't play, get them again. And here's the other thing. If Michigan can't play and, and somebody else in the league can't play, get them a game. Very simple. Get them a game. You know, I know, and the, like the SEC's rule is no rematches. I'm not even sure you do a no rematch thing. Like, you just get them a game. If, if that's State, all there is, yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'll be, I thought it was um, really weird of Greg Sankey to say what he said to Dennis Todd this week, saying like, well, we're we're going to play a full schedule unlike the ACC, which their full schedule yeah. is still equal to what the ACC's Wait, doing. Well, after no, no, no. It's not even that. It's not even that. It is criticizing another league. Now, granted, it's the ACC. So it's not it's not a complete lack of self awareness, but criticizing another league for playing fewer conference games to make it easier to make the playoff, because this is not what the SEC does yeah. every year relative to the Big Twelve, the Pac Twelve, and the Big Ten. But it was just so like, if you want to rip the Big Ten, go ahead. Rip the Pac Twelve, go ahead. Like they've done enough to get ripped this year by their oh, peers. The ACC, I think, has been probably the best league as far as like. I mean, they're going to get the most games played of any Power Five league, right? Am I am I right on that? I, I think there's think one so. That, one so far that absolutely will not get played. Wait, but then they've added some more. So now they, it's they, quick thinking. It's it's yeah. it's protecting your brands, protecting yep. your property, not making Clemson and Notre Dame play for the sake of playing. You already right. have your tie, your championship game locked up. You probably, well, I won't say probably. There's a very good chance you're going to have two teams in the playoff. Yeah. I mean, what the ACC has nailed it. Um, and look, I mean, no one knew how this would play out back in September, but they look a lot smarter than everyone else right now. And I just don't, I'm not really sure where, I mean, I get the, the SEC ACC rivalry, but I still don't know where Greg Sankey was really coming from when he lobbed those, uh, I just, lobbed those I mean, daggers their way. I mean, well, look, no, I mean, he's, he's, he wants his teams to win and he wants two teams in the playoff. He didn't, he doesn't want some other league getting two teams in the playoff. He wants his two teams. But well, here's the, the thing. I mean, we just talked about the Georgia Vanderbilt game. Like that might not happen. Nope. So, like, does that does that mean the SEC failed by not making up that game? I don't think so. No, um, I think I think the SEC, the Big Twelve, and the ACC have done a very good job given the circumstances. It it could have been way worse. Can, can we talk about how like what what's this week? And this is such a critical week for the Big Ten um, as far as. Well, so here, here's, my, yeah, here's my question. Do you change the rule to get Ohio State in the end of the title game? If necessary. And I say that. So I, you I, do I, everything you can to avoid having to change the rule and you change the rule as a last resort. Well, I mean, here's almost all. I, I want to say almost all because Ohio State got, had a cancellation on Friday and so forth. I think you look at Michigan when they canceled early in the week, you look at Minnesota, how they canceled on a Monday. Most of these decisions don't come out of nowhere. No. And especially with the 21 day rule in the big 10, like it's hard to miss just one game too. So I think you need to get together. And I know this is easier said than done, but you need to like, you just, you need to get Ohio state a game this week and you need to know whether that's going to be Michigan or not as soon as possible. And I think you do everything you can to make sure that Ohio State is playing this weekend. And if that can't happen, then I think you do change the rule. And I mean, why wouldn't you at this point? They're 
Like they're the best team in the league. This isn't a discussion. This isn't Clemson Notre Dame where oh, let's see what happens in right. the match. Like as as great as Indiana's season has been, they lost to Ohio State. Why right. should they play for the championship? It's I just don't. I mean, and I'll be fast. AC. I mean, because we still don't know what they're doing with rivalry week or, or whatever it is, championship week. Right. Um, that the, they uh, may play a couple games in right. Those in were, Lucas Oil the night before. Or those were some of the way. Of, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's here's the thing with that. I don't care. I, I know initially it was all right. It's going to be one versus one. Blah blah blah. We're just going to avoid rematches. Now you better make Minnesota and Wisconsin play that week because that would be like it makes no sense that that game should not be played this yeah, year. Yeah, that doesn't. Those don't week. need to be cross divisional for the sake of being cross divisional. If a rivalry didn't get played and you have a chance to play it, then go play it. Right. Exactly where it would be at the end of the year. Um, I mean, I don't think you want a scenario where. Northwestern is playing Indiana that week, and nobody cares because Ohio State, which is ineligible for that game, is is beating the crap out of Iowa. And we're yeah. talking about whether a six-win Ohio State team is going to be good enough to get there, it. There's a pandemic on. Everybody's doing the best they can. That, that's the motto of this podcast for the entire season. And that's if you're the Big Ten, do something to help your best team make the yes. playoff. That's that's all there's and, – and, and the thing is the Big Ten hasn't done squat to help any of its teams – since July. So how about for the first time in all this, you do something to help one of your teams instead of making everything more difficult for them. So our friend Adam Ritterberg for ESPN has covered that league forever. Um, I was literally reading his Big Ten blog when I was in college at a Big Ten school. He he's always goes on a tangent, and I agree with him. He's like, this place just does not emphasize national championships nope. like it's almost like unspoken like why would we talk about that well, it's, and it's, it's like it's, it's it's i've always said this it's, it's this is the difference between the sec and the big 10 the sec if you didn't if you're an upper crust sec school if you did not win the national title you failed your season yeah. was a failure the big 10 it's always woo, get to the rose bowl yeah. oh boy the rose. And, and, oh, but i have a theory about that do you well, know why I mean, it's like every, and I've lived in the Midwest long enough where I can say this, like, it's it's like every, like, stereotype of Midwestern ice to the ex- and passive aggressiveness to the, scream, to the extreme. <laughs> I mean, they don't release a preseason All-Big Ten team. They're, like, five stars from each division. Like, we don't want to offend a second-team Big Ten quarterback or anything like that. Like, everything about it is just so rah-rah, and it's like... You have one legitimate contender every year, and more often than not, they underachieve yeah. too. And I mean, basketball, don't get me started. They've actually been really good at basketball, and I don't think it's the league's fault that they've come up short in the biggest game of the year, however many times in a row since 2000. But I mean, you got to win the damn thing at your biggest sports. Well, exactly. And, and look, Rose Bowl is nice, but there's a reason SEC people don't care about something like that. They live where the weather's nice in January. Yeah. Like, they don't have to go anywhere. So you don't have to dream about getting to go to Pasadena. I can just it's, walk out my front door. I'll say, I've actually never been to the Rose Bowl, and that's a bucket list It's pretty amazing. Because I've never been, and because it's beautiful, and it's the coolest thing to watch on New Year's Day. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just, they're not the only league with this mindset, but it's like, Whatever the SEC does, they want to be the opposite of that. And it's really not gotten them anywhere. But, I mean, look, they've is, made – like Jim Delaney is one of the most – I think he was criminally underrated as a commissioner because no one was smarter at oh, making he was, money he, he was, than he was. He was the best at it. I mean, yeah. nobody would have a TV network if not if not for him. And Everybody he thought he was a moron, and, and it turned out he was the genius. And he did it at a time where the football product was – 
almost laughing stock. I mean, that was like the low of the low for the Big Ten. Um, that was the middle of the SEC's run. Like I, it, it was much harder to be a commissioner of the Big Ten at that time than it was to be the commissioner of the SEC because you had no to do question. a lot more creative thinking. Well, uh, and, and, but I don't know what else I can say my, in their favor. Here's my right question now, about <laughs> that because clearly they want to be the Ivy League, and I get that. But why can't you be world class academic institutions? that happen to have kick-ass football teams. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, does does Mott Children's Hospital become less of a cutting-edge facility if Michigan's football team is competing for national championships? Notre mean, Dame's like, figured it out. Yeah. Why not? I mean, and that's the thing. You could be, you could be close to Ivy League quality education with some of the best football in the country. You, you can do that. You, you can have both in the Big Ten. You already have the hard part done. You've right. already built the academic reputations of your schools. It will not harm the academic reputations of your schools to be good, really good at football. Well, look at Michigan. I mean, I don't – this goes back to the national championship thing. Every single block in, in building in Ann Arbor is named after a guy who never won a national championship. God bless Bo Schembechler, but, like, it's amazing. Like, this guy's bigger than life, and he never won a national championship. I mean, it's Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. I feel bad for you. You're not going to get a statue next to Lou Holtz and the rest of the guys out there because you've done everything possible here except win national championships. You should have gone to, to Michigan. They would have named yeah. the whole freaking state after Gu- you. Gus Malzahn hasn't won a national championship. He won two SEC titles. He, he came like 20 seconds away from winning a national title. You know what's <laughs> going to happen to him? He's going to get fired. Yeah. I mean, not now, but eventually because he, he's the Auburn coach. Right. It always ends badly. Yeah, it's. It's weird. I think like I think a lot of the stuff Nebraska has brought public this year has some merit to it. It's more of no one wants to hear from the new guy who hasn't been relevant in 25 years. What the the thing that people ignored when they criticized Nebraska was that Ohio State and Iowa were saying the same things and they aren't the new guy. So, I realize they're they're outnumbered, but perhaps all the other schools need to look inward and say, you know, they may have a point here. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know Iowa voted. I don't remember anything crazy coming out from them. Ohio State's always just kind of like, I don't want to say in its own league, but like they, they do what they want, and I think they've earned that right because they've been yeah. carrying the, the athletic reputation of this yeah, they're, for they're, far Their too back long. is hurting right now. Yes. Yes. And then inevitably when they lose a big game, it's up. There goes Ohio State again. It's like, thanks, Michigan, for not doing anything to to help this league ever. Um, so I, I don't I mean, I, th- this week, though, is just going to be very interesting. I mean, if I, I sit here saying I have an impossible time imagining them keeping Ohio State ineligible from the Big Ten title game. And yet I don't know well, if they're he, going to get together here, here's, and figure out a way to do it. Here's my advice for the people in charge. You are going to get criticized for doing something to help your best team make the playoff. You will get criticized by probably people in the SEC, probably by people in the ACC, probably by people within your recruits. own faculties. You think recruits are going to look at them and, and by, say, by oh, they're serious? And, and you know what? Don't listen to any of them. Do it anyway. Help your best team make the playoff. I mean... Is Notre Dame's brand hurt by being in the ACC for one year in a pandemic when they might win the whole thing? Well, I, there, there's a great question that Pete Sampson and I went through before the season started. Where do you put the trophy? 
Oh, we've, we've asked every single guest it, we've had on the Shamrock Mountain. Is it going to be in a place of honor or well, is it like, we're so that. good, we just won this thing and put it in a closet? Well, there's a few things because Brian Kelly should be ACC coach of the year. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of hardware and the voting body's going to be interesting, especially to see the media versus coaches dynamic in those polls. But like, do you, like, Urban Meyer said this on Fox today, like, you got to adjust. Like the ACC just did that this week. By canceling an yeah. extra game for Clemson and Notre Dame. Helping Hell, the big, its the best big Ten teams. Did, the Big Ten said, we're not playing this fall. Like, three weeks later, Kevin Warren says, this decision will not be revisited. And three weeks after that, they're like, hey, we're playing. We never said it was canceled. What are you we talking about? We revisited it. <laughs> yeah. We said it was postponed. Yeah. Yeah, they, they have hamstrung their teams from the get-go. I mean, Nebraska tries to schedule, schedule games against Chattanooga. In Nebraska's release, it says... We disagree with the Big Ten scuttling this because we think it might be helpful for one of our teams down the line. <laughs> it would be helpful. It would. Like right yeah. now, it would be helpful if that option was available. So, yeah, stop actively working against your teams and try to help your best team. I, I do not have a problem with that. If, if, if Greg Sankey or John Swafford or, or you know, Bob Bowlesby gets mad about that, don't worry about it. You do plenty of things to make them mad, and they'll do plenty of things to make you mad. It doesn't matter. Do what helps your league get a team in the playoff. That is, that is what matters. Like Larry Scott in the Pac-12 did not do the things to help his league and has never done the things to help his league get in the playoff. Nope. You, the He's not USC doing team, his job. 2017 USC team, which ends up winning the league and going to the, the Sugar Bowl, Rose, I think, to Ohio State. Bowl. Oh, no, the, the Cotton Bowl. Cotton Bowl. I'm sorry. Um, that USC team did not have an in-season bye. <laughs> right, right. And what, where their where their only conference loss come on a Friday night on the Palouse by six At, points. Oh, by the way, after a road game the previous yeah. Saturday, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Let's let's talk about Oregon, by the way, because you and I. My Mario take isn't got ourselves in a little bit of uh, (laughs) a little trouble. Well, no, I still think that Mario Cristobal at a place like Michigan or Texas would improve those teams on the line of scrimmage, would improve their recruiting. What what worries me now, because listen, if you just lost to Oregon State or you just lost to Cal, I'd say, you know what, you you guys have lost more out of you know from opt-outs than any other team in the Mm -hmm. country. You're a very different team than you thought you'd have. I, I get it. But losing both yeah. of those games makes me wonder. No, and like that's been the question well before this year, right? Like his in-game coaching acumen. I mean, the whether it was the Auburn game last year, the Stanford game in 2018, which they gave away. Arizona State um, last Arizona year. Arizona State last year. Um, I mean, they're fair questions. Um, this year doesn't help the stock, so to speak. Um I do, I do, though, since we've had that conversation, which was probably, what, four weeks ago, maybe? Um, and I, I feel like I've become like the – I feel like I'm the, the go-to hot seat coaching carousel. This is all I talk about when I'm on this show. Yes, which I'm fine with because it's really fun. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's – we've all – it's all we've talked about since it started. So it's not just you. I mean, here's, here's the thing. Texas had a, a big win today. They they went and just rolled Kansas State. Uh, Tom Herman is sitting there, and I'm not sure at this point that there's a person 
you can justify writing the checks for if it's not Urban Meyer, and it doesn't sound like it's going to be Urban Meyer. So that's fine. You know, you, probably at this point you you would keep Tom Herman, but they've let him twist yeah. in the wind so much. Like, is it too late now? If I'm Tom Herman, I'm like, you know what? Just give me the buyout. You guys are treating me like crap. So I I don't I don't know where that goes. Yeah, it's a, I mean that situation, the Michigan situation, are both fascinating for completely different reasons. The Texas one being, like you said, I mean, it's he's been hung out to dry. And I'm not saying that Texas hasn't been right in their lack of belief in him based on what they've seen on the field. But it, it's hard to put that toothpaste back in the bottle. And especially with a personality like that, who on his best days isn't always the most agreeable human being in the world and who doesn't, from the sounds of it, have too many friends who are going to be responsible for determining his fate next year. Um, so I don't know what happens there. Uh, look, to their credit, they came out today fairly shorthanded as well and just lit up the scoreboard, played well. I mean, it was a performance, at least offensively, that made you think, where the heck's that been? That, that's what, that's what right. Texas should look like against a team like Kansas State. Now, interestingly enough, that's, I think this is the first time they've won consecutive games in Manhattan, so two years ago and, and this year, uh, in the history of the school, which – only tells you how good a coach Bill Snyder is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's all that means. So, uh, it, it, but it's just, it, it is fascinating to me because at this point, you, you probably, if, if you were to hire a Mario Cristobal, a James Franklin, somebody like that, you're, you're talking about 25 to $30 million out the door to fire Tom Herman and bring in the next person. That is an astounding amount of money. And I'm just not sure you can sell anyone who isn't Urban Meyer well, for that amount of money. What's the South Carolina tab going to be when all is said and done, including new hires? Right. Over 20 I mean, million. South Carolina can do it. Texas can do it. And I don't say that flippantly. I, I don't say flippantly. Right I mean, it's a lot of money, and it's not my money, so it's easy for no, me to right. say. But uh, <laughs> I don't – I'll be curious. I mean, yeah, Urban's a game changer, no doubt about it. That's like the one sure thing that's out there. I don't know if you watch Game Day this morning or not. Desmond Howard had some not flattering things at all to share about uh, Tom Herman's perception from current and former players he said he spoke to um, that, you know, his whole my way or the highway thing has just rubbed everyone there wrong. And look, I'm not in that locker room. I can't speak to it. But I ju- it just feels like there is so much inward and outward momentum against him right now that it's just hard to run it back, especially when you well, want to swim it, in the recruiting yeah, it, waters that Texas does. Right. And if I'm him at this point, I, I might just be like, listen – Y'all don't like me, so just give me my money and I'll go. I mean, here's the thing. I don't, I don't think anything has changed as far as perception nationally with wins these last two weeks. But I think James Franklin would kill it down in Texas. I really do. I do, I do too. I do too. I, although I would look at the way the situation this year has been handled and say – all right, are you going to have my back if I need you to have my back? So you're talking from James Franklin's standpoint? Yeah, like, look at how Tom Herman, remember they share sure. an agent. James Franklin, Tom Herman, same agent. Are you going to have my back? Because they haven't had Tom Herman's back. And and you can it, it can be because they're not pleased with him or whatever, but you you probably should until you're ready to be done with the person publicly I'll, I'll say this based on uh, my uh, experience as undergrad in State College, Pennsylvania. 
And I don't say this to undersell or underestimate the many dynamics that go on at Austin, Texas, because when you hear them all, yeah. it's very as well, Penn State has as, its share of very as befuddling as yes. it is to think that Texas football can't get together. It at least makes sense when you know how much is going on there behind the scenes. That said, James Franklin, a black man in central Pennsylvania who was coaching with one arm tied behind his back for the first two and a half years or so and had to have his athletic director come out and give a public vote of approval because of a couple angry board members um, who is now, I mean, he's, I think from my understanding is a full support of his administration, but the fan base there, like every big fan base is crazy. You look at the contract the the administration better fully support him because they've certainly signed up. Correct. And like, Fan bases everywhere, every year, big programs are going to have bad years. Their teams are going to have bad years, and they're going to revolt and say their coaches be replaced. I get it. Uh, I, I just imagine Austin, Texas being a much more hospitable place to James Franklin than State College, Pennsylvania is. Um, and I think the way – like I'd say it says a lot. Like, I thought James Franklin was the best hire imaginable, and I thought they would be years away from being relevant to the Big Ten again. And by year three – they were in the Rose Bowl. I mean, yeah, that that they that they won the Big Ten so quickly is is really and look, they're they're very valid. I mean, much like Mario Cristobal, right? I think they're similar. Like amazing recruiters, amazing program builders. They do one or two things every Saturday on their headsets that, if you're a fan, will make you want to tear your hair out. Um, well, let me let me let me throw this at you, Matt. You know, one of the things that has been an issue, I think, at Penn State. And, and, and if you talk to Ari Wasserman, our recruiting guy and frequent co-host on this podcast, uh, that their recruiting has not lived up the last this couple year, years. This yeah. year specifically, they've not been good in the, in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, that losing Josh Gaddis was one of their the bigger blows that their recruiting operation took. Guess who's about to probably be looking for a job? Uh, he is, I believe, 0-4 against his ex-employers since he got to Michigan. Lost. So he's basically like a lost. former saving assistant. So <laughs> exactly. And where where do they always go when they get back fired? To, back to saving, right? Lost. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So go back, go back, back to Franklin. Back, back, yeah. Um, no, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think of it in that context. Um, yeah. Unless, unless that, that wild internet rumor is true about Jim Harbaugh and the extension. I, I have not heard that one, nor do I, I want to hear that one, that. I think. Um, oh, it's out there. It's out there. I, I don't know where it came from. But, I've not heard it from anybody credible, but it's it's out there on the internet. A three-year – the reason it – like, the th- it's a three-year extension, according to the, the rumor. And that's just not how – no. Anything works in college football. Like the math. I will say one more thing so. on Michigan since we're on the subject and since I threw Mario's name out there last time. Uh I will comfortably make the prediction that Matt Campbell is Michigan's coach next year. Wow. Now you're gonna get a lot of mad Iowa State fans because they are convinced. That's all right. I've got a lot of bad Notre Dame fans because I tweeted the name Clark Lee, and apparently no one knew who he was. Vanderbilt had no idea who he was until I tweeted him. Um his name. Uh, you know Vanderbilt, Nashville native. They didn't. They didn't just check the list of uh, of former yeah, players. I, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, but yes, I got a lot of. of I, I saw yours. I, I yeah, I saw you know, some of the year. If if you're Texas, you should consider Matt Campbell since he can win the big. You know, get in the Big Twelve title game at Iowa State, and yeah, God forbid. You know, he's not going anywhere, guys. 
I got a lot of tweets from 2017 from Mississippi State fans telling me Dan Mullen won't go anywhere. I feel I look. Trust I feel me, more confident somewhere. saying um, Matt Campbell wouldn't go anywhere than I would Dan Mullen based on the personalities of those two. I'll, I'll say this about Matt well, Campbell though. He, Matt, he, I don't. I, well, I wouldn't be shocked well, if Matt he, Campbell stayed at Iowa like, State another year if the perfect job is. I mean, open. he's a different guy. He really is. I mean, people thought he was crazy when he took the Iowa State job because that's a place that was thought of as a dead end, and he was an up and coming coach. And I've talked to people who've worked with him who heard he was leaving and said, wait, we're going where with you? And then they get there and they're like, wait a minute, this place is a sleeping giant. Like, just look at the support you have here. Look at Jamie Pollard's yes. a really good AD. And I think that's one of those deals where those two two very smart people got together and Jamie Pollard and Matt Campbell and hatched a, a really nice plan. And that's all kind of come to fruition. I mean, in Campbell's the a guy who transferred from Pittsburgh as undergraduate because he thought that was too big time for football and you couldn't have the principles you need to, to actually run and play football the way it should be played, which is why he went to Mount Union, which is the greatest program at any level ever, probably. And he had the success he had there. That said, I mean, you, you see interviews with him over the years and when he's asked for who his idols and, and kind of you know coaching muses are, he talks about the Bill Snyders and the guys who built something out of nothing and stayed at one place for so long. I don't say that to suggest he's going to be at Iowa State for as long as Frank Beaver was at Virginia Tech. But if there is a guy out there outside of Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern who would have that personality. But you just put him in Ann Arbor. What are I'm you just doing? Saying, well, I get like why the fans would be like, I think the attachment between Matt Campbell and Iowa State is much deeper than the attachment of most up-and-coming coaches with wherever they may be right now. And I understand why – I understand that fan base's um, denial a little bit more than I would, say, Mississippi State's with Dan Mullen. Let's talk about a fan base that would uh, – that I think at this point would prefer their coach go That's 90% else. of them, but go he's on. Not, he, he's, not, he's not going anywhere, and, and I don't think you fire Tennessee. this guy – <laughs> unless, right, unless you know who you're bringing in and you've already got that kind of lined up. Because if you're Tennessee and you've had four different head coaches since Philip Fulmer got fired, I don't think you fire somebody for the sake of making a change. But Jeremy Pruitt, you know, the game against Florida was interesting. They, they go with Harrison Bailey as the starting QB, and he kind of went through after the game all the different things that happened. Garantano hadn't really practiced, so he probably wasn't going to play. JT Shrout had a pop in his shoulder during practice during the week. And so they weren't sure if he was going to play. And they kind of said before the game that he, that he was out, but then they put him into the game at the end. It was very, all, all very, very strange. And then our, our good friend, David Ubbin asked Jeremy Pruitt about the, the quarterback competition in his press conference. And this was the answer Jeremy Pruitt gave. And your quarterback competition. I mean, I mean, guys, you know, Every week, okay, so y'all will never have to ask me this again, okay? Every week we go out there and we see uh, who competes in practice, uh, who does the best job that we feel like uh, affects the guys around them, all right? And we will do that as long as I'm the head football coach here at every position. So you don't have to ask me ever, ever, ever again. So Jeremy Pruitt goes condescending on, on the QB question. Here's the deal. Do you know why no one asks Lincoln Riley who his quarterback's going to be every week? Because Lincoln Riley has proven that he's good at choosing quarterbacks and that his staff and, and him are good at coaching quarterbacks and that they produce. And so you don't have to ask because you know they've got a really good handle on the situation. Jerry Pruitt, in his time at Tennessee, has never had good quarterback play. Never once. 
So that's why people keep asking. And so I realize you don't like the question and you're tired of it, but the only way to get people to stop asking is put better quarterback play on the field, which is what you are being paid lots of money to do. He, uh, yeah, no one's going to ask him anything again about any players because he made it pretty clear the best player is always going to play, and that's that, right? I mean, it's like oh, yeah. it's like Notre Dame sure. uh, not making their Heisman candidate quarterback available to the media on senior day and sending out a video from in-house and then complaining on Twitter that it's unfair that he's not getting Heisman hype when he has thrown for as many touchdowns as Devontae Smith has received or caught this year. But, hey, if he beats Trevor <laughs> Lawrence, he'll be in the mix. Look, I think on one hand, I think it would be the height of absurdity to pull the plug this early on a guy you're so invested in, especially after like every extension. They exactly. just extended like him in January. Every extension. Which no, they shouldn't have, but, I but mean, they did. As David Aubin texted me this week, the most lopsided rivalry in sports is always agents and ADs. Um, it's yeah. Jimmy Sexton yeah. versus a former coach, <laughs> usually. That said, do you, there's a guy out there who's had a phenomenal season, who's beaten Nick Saban twice, who, is, who can oh boy. recruit oh so well, boy. and who might be the only guy in America, short of like Urban Meyer coming out of retirement to go to Knoxville for some reason, the only guy in America who like the fans would universally praise, which never happens there for any hire. Do you really mm-hmm. think the people in charge of Tennessee don't? want to go out and get Hugh Freeze right now? And again, I think it's really... Oh, in their heart of hearts, do they want to go out and get Hugh Freeze? 100% they do. Could they sell Hugh Freeze to the people further up the chain? The big... If you got a big check writer who is not, you know, not happy with the way Hugh Freeze left Ole Miss, which is kind of icky, and then you've got an NCA investigation in Ole Miss as well while he was there. So that is the the issue. Would would the the te- the Tennessee people who want to win football games, would they want to hire Hugh Freeze? 1 million percent, yes they would. I don't I don't say it's to give Hugh Freeze a pass because I think frankly he has gotten a fairly big pass. I mean, he's a head coach right now, right? It's not like he's been exiled. I mean, he was he was punished though. It did cost right. him millions of dollars. Like, he was fired for cause. He lost millions of dollars on the deal. Publicly humiliated. So, you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's hard to say that he, got a, that he didn't get a pass because he did get back into coaching fairly quickly. He became a head coach again quickly. But he did lose more than most Correct. of us will ever I mean, make. Because he's paid his penance. So I don't like that's why I think this is a digestible hire if you're interested in hiring him because you're not taking a right. chance. And, on and I'm a head coach right now. Yeah. I've talked about double secret probation and the fact that you, you got to get it cleared through the it'll commissioner. Happen. I think they're going to have it'll, to clear him. Yeah. They're going to have to. You can't not clear him over he's and over. He's coaching again. elsewhere. So, this isn't. I'm only want yeah. to name the names that we're all thinking who are still exiled for good reasons, but like he's coaching. Like you're not. I don't think you're taking that big of a chance on a guy who's a sitting head coach. And look, I, he paid his price. Um, I, I, I've tried to find the balance of thinking like he paid his price. He lost his job. He lost a lot of money. 
without like feeling overly bad for him because he's it's not like he's not coaching and he's exiled from the game. Right. And I've no doubt he'll be an SC head coach sooner rather than later. Um, I'm always of the belief that, and I've heard you say and write the same thing. If you don't believe the guy you have right now is your guy and it's never going to turn around, why delay the inevitable? It's going to cost you more money. And ah, the, that is the old the old Jeremy Foley quote. Jeremy Foley, former Florida athletic director, what must be done eventually. Yeah, must it's be going done to cost you more money eventually. Um, I, I have I seen a whole lot from Jeremy Pruitt in three years. I think this guy is going to lead Tennessee to SEC title one day. No, but like people at Tennessee did, obviously, as recently as right before the pandemic, um, they were so invested and tied into this guy who had zero head coaching experience and who was what, 11th on their list from that crap show of a search in 2017 that, um, <laughs> well, but, but what, what number was he on Philip Fulmer's list? Because we had, we had several lists, several lists from several different point. people in charge of the hiring until <laughs> Philip Fulmer became in charge. Um, but I, I sit here today thinking like they can't, I don't want to say they can't, I think that that's a move they would make. Because if they don't make it, Auburn's going to make it next year or someone's going to make it in the SEC, and then you're falling even further behind. If you have everybody on board, if everybody in your, within your organization is on board and you have the, the wink, wink, nod, nod from the commissioner that it's going to be cool with them, and you have Hugh Freeze lined up, then you do it. If it's anybody else or if you just don't know who you want, you keep Jeremy. Yeah, I, I, I have no problems with that. Yeah, I think if you if you got it lined up, then yes. But do not fire the man for the sake of firing him with no plan, because we saw where that got you last time. Correct. I, 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 I have the same philosophy. I mean, you you fire him to get the guy who recruits his ass off and who I mean beat Saban two years in a row at a school that. As fun as it is, like it's not your traditional SEC power. It's not LSU. Well, and and, and yeah, and, and this is a stat I love to throw out. The 14 SEC head coaches, how many times combined have they, or I guess the, the other 13, how many times combined have they beaten Nick Saban? I know Malzahn's got three and Freeze is two. Um, well, Freeze isn't one of them. Now. Odron is one. There's It's four. Gus three. And, Gus yeah. has three, and Ed has one. And... You know, if you want to hire Steve Spurrier, he's got a couple. But that that's about it. So he has half the wins against Saban as the current 13 other SEC coaches combined. That tells you all you need to know. Yeah, it does. The guy, I mean, look, the guy's really good at his job. I mean, he has freaking liberty winning at Virginia Tech and coming to block kicked away from winning at NC State, which would have given them three ACC road wins and an undefeated season. Again, at Liberty. <laughs> right. Now, would they have beaten Coastal? <laughs> Who knows? I'm Who just glad we know. got but, someone versus Coastal today that was also put forth a great game. Oh, it was great. And before we go, we need to reiterate this point one more time, Matt Fortuna. Never, ever, ever tell us again you need 10 years to schedule a game. Do it in three days, you get a better game. That was the best game of the day. It wasn't even close, and it was the one that got scheduled Wednesday. I love how I've like almost predicted every single team and thought you've had on this podcast. We're getting to that point in the year where everyone's uh, group think is starting to dominate, but I'm here for it. 
It's almost as if a bunch of data has come together to, right? to prove Big a point. Big Ten, AD scheduling, Tennessee football. I'm starting to see a pattern here. Uh, either that or we're just simpatico, but I'll, I'll take it. Either way, Matt Fortuna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, the listener, for joining us. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Please tell a friend if you haven't already. Please subscribe to The Athletic, best sports writing on earth. You can read Bruce Feldman, who broke the Shane Beamer to South Carolina story. You can read Josh Kendall on South Carolina as he analyzes. You can read Matt Fortuna on pretty much everything college football-related. This is this is going to be a very interesting next few weeks because we we're going to have coaching carousel, we're going to have playoff, home stretch, conference championships. We're going to have a lot to talk about here, and we'll talk to you again on Tuesday night right after the rankings.